0: welcome to the podcast of new covenant church in albuquerque where we focus on the bible faith and life issues we hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey now here's our message So one of my favorite movies of all time, Back to the Future, you all remember that? We've brought that one up before, but Doc has got his DeLorean. I want you this morning to hop in the DeLorean. We're just going to go back 24 years. So it's the summer of 1999. I don't know if you can remember where you're at or what was happening, but it was right about that time in 1999 that people really started freaking out. Like nuclear reactors are going to melt down all computers are going to shut down, planes are going to crash, ships are going to crash, and it all had a name. Y'all remember what it was? Y2K. Y2K. Yeah. So as a body of believers, and I had only been a believer for about two years, I came to know Christ January 1st of 1997, and then about two years later, when all of this was going on, we thought, this is perfect timing to go and tell everybody about Jesus, Now, it's sad that we wait for a moment like that to get urgent about telling people about Jesus, but we were thinking to ourselves, we've got like the next six months where everybody thinks they're going to die. This is great timing to tell everybody we can about Jesus. So one of the things that we decided to do is we went to a really big park in downtown San Diego called Balboa Park. And in Balboa Park, we put on this big and pretty powerful drama called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. They turned it into a movie. If you've never seen the drama or the movie, just YouTube it. It's worth checking out because it is pretty powerful. But lucky me, I got to play the part of Satan. I'm like, yes, yes. So at the time, I was much younger, didn't have grays, so my goatee was nice and dark, and I made it into a point, and I wore a red cape, and I played Satan throughout that drama. And at the very end, this little boy, probably not more than seven or eight years old, comes and tugs on my cape and says, hey, mister, are you actually Satan? I just give him the sly smile and said, if only you knew. Not really. It was a great opportunity to talk to him about why we don't have to fear Satan, why we actually don't have to fear Y2K or anything else that comes our way, because Jesus is the one who's fully and completely in control. Now, this young man, he was mistaken about who Satan was, because apparently he thought Satan was an extremely good-looking 23-year-old white boy, Um, but he was wrong. That being said, there are a lot of people that are mistaken about who Satan is. Uh, We have either done away with him because it's not a figure that we want to talk about, so we'll just pretend like he doesn't exist, to which he's completely content with, or we've given him way too much credit. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've said it, well, the devil made me do it? But here's the interesting thing. He is a cherubim angel who can only be in one place at one time. He is definitely a powerful foe, but we don't want to give him too much credit. So what we're going to do in the next two weeks with Revelation 12 is a lot of the focus is on this figure that we call Satan, who's actually a real being. He's a real cherub angel who rebelled against God. We'll get into his character and his nature in just a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we know at least a little bit about the enemy. We need to know a little bit about his schemes and how he operates. Where is he working and how is he working? And that's important for us to know as believers. Now, what we're going to do is something that I've mentioned earlier. We are going to gaze upon Jesus, but we will glance at the enemy. So we don't need to fear the enemy. We're going to simply glance at him. Let's take a look at what he's doing. But let's keep our gaze fixed on the one who has already defeated the enemy. The war has already been won. So let's look at him. We're in Revelation 12. Uh, We stopped last week, and we took a little bit of a pause from the book of Revelation to step back and say, how do we make sure that we're rightly interpreting some things in Revelation that are symbolic, but yet still pointing to a literal point? And that's where we took a look at how we interpret Scripture. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. We compare parallel passages. We always want to make sure that we're reading Scripture in context. So this week, we only have six verses, but that means that we've got some hard work to do because we need to make sure that we read these six verses in context. We need to make sure that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We need to make sure that we practice what we call exegesis. Again, in the Greek, that word ek means to draw out of. We want to make sure that we always draw meaning out of the text and never put meaning into it. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. We're going to use good, solid biblical hermeneutics. Don't you all just love that word? We're just going to study the Bible rightly. That's what we're going to do this morning. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, and then we will begin to dissect this uh, verse by verse. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. John says, and I saw a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and and seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne." And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, you can have a seat. Thank you. So what we're going to do over the course of the next two weeks is really all of Revelation 12, 1 through 17 is meant to be one literary unit of thought. However, we weren't going to make it through that this morning. So we're breaking that up, which means that really our big idea, the one overarching idea that Jesus wants us to grasp that he passed on through John is simply this, God's truth is the greatest source of weaponization and protection against Satan, who is a furious, frustrated, and defeated foe. Now that is a mouthful, but it starts with God's truth. Before I take us any further, let me note that we live right now in a time, and have been in a time for a long time, That is spiritually deceived. There is all kinds of spiritual deceit, all kinds of lies going on. We're talking about Satan. Satan, I I frankly think, could care less whether or not we believe that he exists. His big thing is to get as many people as possible confused about who Jesus is and what his plan is for mankind. I pray that it is clear from being in God's word week after week and for you all personally day after day that you know why you were created. You know where you came from. You know that God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, formed and fashioned you from the dust of the ground after speaking all of the universe into existence. I hope and I pray that you know that what went wrong in that relationship with God was us, that we have sinned against him. And because of that, he had to separate himself from us because of our sin, because of the fact that he will not remain in the presence of sin. But I also hope you know that the good news is instead of leaving us, To wallow in our sin and really ultimately to continue in that trajectory towards hell. He sent us a redeemer by the name of Jesus who is completely God. He was 100% God, 100% man. Therefore, his death on the cross paid for 100% of our sins, past, present, and future. And then the really good news, Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross, but he rose again. That earthquake shook the ground. The stone was rolled away. Jesus rose from the dead, and then not long after that, he ascended into heaven, but he made a promise before he left. What was the promise? I am coming again. Remember when the disciples found the folded up face cloth in the tomb, folded in concentric squares, it told them something. The king is coming back. I'm not done with you yet. So hang in there. I am coming. In the meantime, you have got a furious and frustrated foe who will do everything he can to confuse you and and those around you. He will do everything he can to make your life like hell on earth. And yet Jesus says, don't be dismayed. I've already defeated him. In fact, Satan knows his time is short. That's why things continue to get worse. That's why sin continues to run rampant. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but have you noticed that we're getting more and more creative in our sin? That the world is seemingly becoming more increasingly evil, but instead of pushing back on that, the world is actually adopting it? In fact, what once used to be called evil is now called good and is supposed to be celebrated. And the very things that God says is good and right are now considered hate speech and considered evil. Out of curiosity, how many of you all use social media in any way, shape, or form? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. For those of you that have used it, how many of you have been canceled at all for anything that you've posted? My daughter just about jumped out of her seat, she was so excited the first time she ever got canceled on Facebook for posting scripture and talking about the goodness of God and how he made us and why he made us. And she got deleted, she got canceled for what was considered against the rules of Facebook for using hate speech. That's the world that we now live in. I'm not telling you this to depress you, I'm telling you this because this is getting exciting. We're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Satan knows that his time is short. And by the way, did you know that Satan's a theologian? He knows Scripture. He knows who Jesus is, and therefore he has wanted Jesus dead. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Satan has wanted to kill Jesus for a long time. In fact, I want you to note this this morning in your notes. Satan, in his fury, he wants to kill Jesus And he wants to kill his people, but he is frustrated by God's protective hand. Let me take you back to Revelation 12, beginning in verses 1 and 2, as we begin to break this down verse by verse. It says, and a great sign appeared in heaven. So remember, we say that we always study the Scriptures literally when it makes sense to. Well, here the Scriptures tell us that this is a sign, is an an example of something. So he says, a sign appeared in heaven. What was the sign? Well, it's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. We're about to take a look at a couple characters in God's story in the book of Revelation and the first one that we get introduced to is this woman. Who is this woman? And how do we know who this woman is? Well, I'm going to tell you who the woman is, but then I'm going to show you why we can know so you're not just taking my word for it. This woman that's being referred to is the nation of Israel. Well, pastor, how do you know that that's the nation of Israel? Well, like I said before, one of the things I love about New Covenant is you always ask good questions. So here's your answer. Ready? Four of them. The first is this, Israel is often identified as a woman, specifically as the wife of Yahweh throughout Scripture. Let me just give you four references out of dozens. Isaiah chapter 54, Jeremiah chapter 31, Ezekiel chapter 16, Hosea chapter 2. Again, that's just four amongst many where Israel is called the wife of Yahweh, the wife of God Almighty, his chosen bride. Then the second thing is the sun, the moon, and the stars glaringly point to Joseph's dream, which is found in Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. On top of that, I did a little bit of a word study on things like the sun, the moon, and the stars. The sun is reminiscent of the glorious exaltation that God is going to give to the nation of Israel. Not because they deserve it. In fact, the opposite They were a bunch of idolaters. They were immoral. In fact, if you read in Scripture, if you want some harsh words, God called them a whore for whoring themselves out with other gods and with other nations. And yet, for God's namesake and for His glory, He saves a remnant. And that is through the nation of Israel. He's going to put them in this exalted position, not because they deserve it. Think about this for a moment. You and I get to inherit heaven, right? It says that we are seated in the heavenly realms, Let me ask you to be really honest with yourself, and I'll be honest with myself. What have we done to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. It's all because of Jesus. And so he's doing that with the nation of Israel. When it talks about the moon, those new moon Sabbaths are oftentimes associated with God making a covenant with the nation of Israel. And then at a new moon, they would throw a worship service praising him for the promises that he has made to them and kept even though they didn't deserve it. The third thing is that verse 5 tells us that the child that's going to be born is going to rule with a rod of iron. Psalm chapter 2 makes about as clear as can be that that's the coming Messiah. Well, who gives birth to the Messiah? Well, it's this young lady named Mary. What family line or lineage is Mary a part of? The Jews or the Israelites. And then here's the fourth thing. Israel, more times than I can count in the Old Testament, is portrayed as a woman who is agonizing in birth. So really, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this woman that's talked about here is the nation of Israel. Now we're going to move on to a new character. You ready for him? He's the one that I got to the great privilege of playing. I got to be Satan. For some of you all, you're like, that's not a far stretch. Shut up. Here we go. Chapter 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head's seven diadems. Who is this dragon? Okay, we we could say Satan. How do we know? Well, I love that Scripture just tells us. Go down to verse 9. We're not there this week. We'll be there next week, but I want you to look at it. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 9 says, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. All right, so we've got the next character, In verse 3, it's without a doubt, Satan, what's the deal with the seven heads and what's the deal with the ten horns and the seven diadems? Well, we can know, again, almost beyond a shadow of a doubt that those seven heads represent seven different kingdoms that have been Satan-influenced. Those seven kingdoms consist of six that have already existed and one that is in the future Those six that already existed from what we can see in Scripture are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, and the seventh empire is going to be the revived Roman Empire. Those ten horns represent ten future kingdoms that are going to rule during the tribulation, and we'll get more on that in time to come. We'll also take a look at the past kingdoms in Revelation chapter 13. So hang in there for about two more weeks and you'll get a little bit more input on the kingdoms. Now one thing that we noted is that each of those kingdoms were ruled by Satan. How do I know that? Look at the gods that were worshipped in each of the six uh, empires that I just mentioned. Look at the acts that were committed by each of those six empires that we just talked about. As well as the coming Roman Empire... We get some insight onto the gods that are going to be worshipped or the god that's going to be worshipped from the coming Roman Empire. Now, gang, that gives us a lot of insight as to what's going on in the world today. Satan is just as real. His demons and his minions are just as real today as they were 2, 3, 4, years ago. And he is still wreaking havoc within empires and nations and countries today. And we see it all over the place. We see it in certain things that are instituted, even just in the country that we live in, that are just flat out evil. And as I shared with you before, some of those very things that God's word says are directly against what he created mankind for and to be are now celebrated as good. But if you dare to tell somebody that they were created in the image of God for the glory of God solely and completely for the purpose of making his name known and making his name great so that he is glorified not only today but into all of eternity. You are labeled as a buffoon. You are labeled as a hater. You're labeled as a bigot. I want to encourage New Covenant this morning. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep your gaze focused on Christ. You can glance at what's going on around you. Know what's happening in the culture but don't get overwhelmed by it. In fact, the enemy that we're fighting against, don't forget, he's already been defeated. He's already been beaten. Okay, let's move on. Look at what Satan did at his original fall. It's in verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Satan wants to kill Jesus he and his minions. His original rebellion is talked about in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, as well as in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. And it was then at his rebellion that he took as many of the angels with him as he possibly could. Now he is trying to do the same thing with humans. The second half of the verse that we just read tells us that while Satan has tried to prevent Jesus from coming on the scene, he's failed every single time. I decided, just for fun, to, t- to jot down a few. When I say a few, I mean like nine. There's about nine instances that I looked at this week. There's a lot more than this, but there's about nine instances I looked at this week where Satan has tried to stop Jesus from coming to pay the penalty for our sin. He's going to do whatever he can to thwart God's plan to have Jesus come and pay the penalty for our sin. How did he do it? Well, right after Adam and Eve start having babies, they have two little boys named Cain... And Abel. Which family line was Jesus supposed to come through? Abel! So Satan inspires Cain to kill him. There's one problem God raises up a young man by the name of Seth, and that becomes the lineage for the Lord Jesus. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 4. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, Satan has convinced so much of mankind to follow after him to commit acts of idolatry and immorality and evil that God's ready to wipe out the entire human race. Satan thinking, I've got it won." However, once again, God preserves a remnant by the name of Noah and then his three sons and their three wives. Well, fast forward to Genesis 27 and Satan motivates Esau to kill Jacob. But instead of Esau killing Jacob, they have this reconciliation that no one saw coming. It's an amazing story in Genesis 27. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 1. At this point in time, the Israelites are underneath the bondage of the Egyptians. And Satan motivates Pharaoh to kill every male boy under the age of two. And yet God preserves one in a basket in a river. You all remember him? His name's Moses. Then Saul moti- or, sorry, Satan motivates a king by the name of Saul to kill David, the ultimate king in Israel through which Jesus is supposed to come, and yet God protects him time and time again. The entire book of Esther is an amazing book. If you remember, there's a man named Haman who tries to wipe out the entire Jewish race, and yet God raises up a couple of faithful people. One, this young lady by the name of Esther, and instead of the Jews being hanged on the gallows, Haman gets hanged on the gallows. What a picture of what's going to happen to our enemy who's trying to wipe out all of God's people, but he himself will eventually be cast in the lake of fire. Well, Satan tries to, to wipe out the entire royal seed of God, and at one point he comes really close. God once again preserves one man who becomes king. His name is Joash, and he protects him for about six years You can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapters 21 and 22. It's another fascinating story. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. And remember how we just read about this dragon is waiting to devour this child that's about to be born. And he tries to do it through a man who appoints himself as king. You all remember who that is? Herod. And yet God intervenes and has Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt. Just one more But there was a time where Satan himself tried to get Jesus to take his own life. Remember, just jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Don't worry about it. God will lift you up. And Jesus repeats numerous times, it is written, and eventually Satan has to flee. Actually, let me give you a tenth. There's one more time that Satan tried to thwart God's plan for what Jesus was going to do. It's called the cross. He had Jesus brutally tortured to the point where people couldn't even recognize his face because he was so badly beaten. And then he has him nailed to a cross. And then Jesus breathes out his last breath. And you remember those final words from Jesus on the cross? It's one Greek word, to die. It is finished. And Satan probably cheered. Oh, yeah, it is. I got you. I finally got you. And then three days later, what happens? The great earthquake, the stone rolls away, Jesus rises from the dead, and then not more than a few weeks after that, he ascends into heaven before he does. Remember, what does he tell us? I'm coming again. I'm going to come back for you. See, Satan is a furious foe, but he's defeated. He makes a lot of noise. And the world that we live in can be scary because the power of the prince of the air seems to be ruling it. Well, out of curiosity... How many of y'all have barking dogs in your neighborhood? Didn't any of y'all have that one? It's like Cujo. You're like, if it ever gets off the leash, it's going to kill me. That one. You're just glad it's behind a fence or you're glad it's on a leash. That's Satan. He's a pretty furious foe. Yet he's on God's leash. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to. Do so you know that we're completely safe? There's not a thing that can touch you. Again, we'll hit on some of this a little bit more in the future, but don't forget what Paul said in Ephesians. We are already, already, it's as if we're already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. It's as if we're already there. Why? Because the victory is so guaranteed that Paul can write about it as though it's already happened. That's good news this morning. Go with me back to verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but... Her child was caught up to God in his throne. In one verse, we read about Jesus' birth. We read about his life, and then we read about his ascension up into heaven. And we also see that once again, Satan gets very frustrated because he's been defeated. And here's the last verse for this morning. "The woman fled into the wilderness. Remember that's Israel. She, fle- she flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. According to a Jewish calendar, that's exactly three and a half years. That is the last half of the tribulation. There's gonna be a remnant of Israel. There's gonna be a remnant of Gentile believers that are gonna be protected. And those that are protected and actually live through the seven year tribulation will enter into a literal 1,000 year reign of Jesus where he sits upon the Davidic throne and he reigns and he rules. That's exciting. God has had it out, or I'm sorry, uh, Satan has had it out for Jesus, he's had it out for Jesus' people, and he has had, had it out for the Jews for years and years and years, and yet he gets thwarted every single time. Gang, in conclusion, let this serve as a reminder to all of us today that God's a promise keeper. God made a promise to Israel, he's going to keep it despite their failings. God has made a promise to us, and he's going to keep it despite our failings. And what is the promise? That all of our sin, past, present, and future has been forgiven. And because of that, we get to be in heaven with him forever. I can't wait to be with Jesus. We also have a promise that he who prepared a place for Israel for about three and a half years in the wilderness has also prepared a place for us in heaven So even when Satan might think that he has won, maybe he'll get us by taking our life. Maybe he'll think he's got us by some of the authorities that we have above us, and we feel like we can't do anything about it. Let us be reminded that Jesus has already won. Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we're only like nine or ten chapters away, and we're there. We're going to get some amazing glimpses of heaven. Man, I can't wait. In just a few weeks, we're going to get a little sneak peek behind the curtain of death. We're going to get a little sneak peek of what heaven is going to look like for believers. We're also going to get a sneak peek at what hell is going to look like for unbelievers. And prayerfully, that will motivate us to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. But our time is coming the time where we get to be with him forever in a place that is perfect, in a place where there is no more sickness or sorrow or death, that time is coming. While we wait, while we wait for our arrival there, whatever the mode of transportation is that Jesus chooses to use to get us there, so whether it be death or the rapture, let us tell as many people as we possibly can that their ticket has been paid for. We can't earn it. I am praising God that Jesus purchased my ticket and then he put me on a train where Jesus is himself the conductor and he's going to take me all the way to heaven because I can't get there on my own. I know that it screams against everything that we think we know. We have to earn our way. Everything is earned. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But we have to remember that we are talking about the God of the universe. What do I have to offer him? We just sang a song about that. I hope we mean it when we sing it. What do I have that's fit for a king? I don't have anything other than my praise for what he's done on my behalf when I don't deserve it. I am so thankful and I am going to praise the Lord every single day that I get to be in heaven with him because of what Jesus has done. I want to again encourage you as we inducted a couple of new deacons and we have elders and myself as really your teaching elder as your pastor will fail you every single time. And I bring that up because there are so many celebrity pastors and speakers out there that are letting people down that are because of that turning around and abandoning their faith and running away. I want to get solidified in our minds that every single one of us sitting in this room and whether we're here or we're watching from afar or we're worshiping across the world, we are all fallen, messed up human beings that are going to let each other down, which is why we keep our gaze on the Lord Jesus. We keep our focus on him. Did you know that he'll never let you down? Did you know that he's never made a promise that he won't keep? Did you know that when Jesus said, I'm coming into the world, he came into the world? Did you know that when he said, I am dying for the sin of the world, he died for the sin of the world? And then when he made the promise that he was going to rise again, he actually rose again? There's just one more promise we're waiting for. John said it at the end of Revelation 22. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Anybody ready for the day that Jesus comes again? Let me spend a moment and just pray for us that we as a church body would have that sense of urgency, not just to go out and share the gospel with unbelievers, but that we would live the gospel because we are so in love with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we praise you for who you are this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us the privilege You have given us the gift that we don't deserve of getting to be with you forever in heaven, that you have given us the gift and the privilege of having all of our sins paid for past, present, and future when we couldn't pay for them on our own. Lord, we are thankful that you redeemed us, that you have bought us back, and that you have defeated the greatest enemy of all, and that is death. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in all the things that we think, say, and do. Not only today, because it's Sunday morning and we're at church, but every day of the week, Monday through Saturday as well. Lord, again, we don't have much to offer you, but Lord, we do shout out hallelujah, because you are good. Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we ask that you would come quickly, but in the waiting, would you use us in any way that you see fit? It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Well, the time is coming. When we will get to shout this out. In fact, we could shout this out now. I'm going to leave you with this this morning. There is coming a time when the the perishable, these bodies, will put on the imperishable. And that's at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And that's when we get to cry out these words in conjunction with Scripture, with the Apostle Paul and others that have gone before us. Death is swallowed up in victory. be immovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know that whatever we do for the Lord Jesus is never in vain. Amen? Gang, have a good week, and Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.